Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, hello. Here we are in Parts Unknown again. Today we're continuing our wander back through WrestleManias of yesteryear, and this week we've got ourselves a pretty good show over which to fat you. Back in 1996, the Fed found themselves at the Arrowhead Pond, one of those venues that will be forever associated with the Graps game for those of us of a certain vintage. Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler had the call, regrettably. WrestleMania 12 went down on the last day of March in California. There were just six matches on the main card. Imagine that. The whole thing took less time than a modern-day episode of Raw and was built around a 60-minute Ironman match that went... Um, 62 minutes. We'll get to that soon enough, but first, let me introduce my esteemed panel. First, our very own women's champ, the doctor of wrestling, the phenom, Carrie Dunn. Hello. Next, from Sky Sports News, our very own British bulldog, Anton Tolui. Hello there. And finally, a man who I had a ton of respect and admiration for until he told the PU WhatsApp group that he liked Vince McMahon's commentary. He's a star of stage, print and podcasting. It's the boy toy, Carl Anker. What a manoeuvre. <laughs> Welcome, one and all. Let's get stuck into this then. We'll start with the WWF title match. The 60-minute Ironman match between the champion Bret Hart and the challenger Shawn Michaels. A nil-nil draw after an hour of action. Carrie, what were they thinking? I don't know, um, but I loved the Ironman match. So I've said before, this is kind of an era of wrestling where I wasn't actually watching at the time. So I'm going back and I'm pretty much with fresh eyes watching this entire event. And all I could think while I was watching this match was, can you imagine this happening now and then not throwing a beach ball around in the crowd or trying to get some kind of chant over? They're gripped by it. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily brilliant all the way through, but certainly the second half of it is absolutely amazing. Loved it. Pretty brave, Carl, to not have a fall, certainly in the first 10 minutes, which is the staple of these kind of matches usually. So last week I said... I was in reference to Bret Hart's match against Stone Cold and I said a year after Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart tore the house down at WrestleMania 12, admittedly I'd not seen the match. I just said they tore the house down because that's what I'd been told had happened. And it's a weird match. Uh, So I I looked into Iron Man histories in WWE beforehand. This is the third one in WWE history. Um, Two previously both involved Bret Hart and they both finished 3-2. And this is the only one that finished 1-0, because the one afterwards is uh, Triple H versus The Rock, which ends 6-5, which is a real like bizarre anomaly in Iron Man matches to have only one pinfall. And only like three serious attempts where you look like they're going to get a pin. There is a good 25-minute match hiding in this 60-minute Iron Man match. What do you think, Anton? It's a strange concept, I think, because um, Carl mentioned there the Triple H Rock one. 11 falls in an hour is not realistic, and it seems like no falls in an hour is not that realistic either. So it's a it's a difficult one to get right. Yeah, Iron Man matches or best two out of three or any of those kind of matches quite often annoys me when you see someone, you know, get pinned when it's not a signature move or it's not a move they would usually or a cheap roll up or something like that you're just thinking come on if this wasn't if this match didn't have this stipulation you would kick out and the match would continue so at least this doesn't have that but for me it took it took about 40 minutes to get going really and 
I I lost it. I lost attention, and I yeah. It's, that's me as a modern fan. I know I'm pretty. Sure, I know watching matches back then are completely different. So I'm, I'm not looking at it in 2018 eyes. So I feel bad saying that, but it didn't captivate me until the end because I know how good these two are, and I just didn't, didn't get to see it as much as I'd like. So nil nil right until the end, and then at the 60 minute mark, Gorilla Monsoon comes out and says, "We're not going to finish it like that. We need to have a winner." Her Sean wins quickly in a couple of minutes. Brett didn't shake Sean's hands or even acknowledge him after the match. Was that? Kayfabe frustration, Carrie, or was it a, a glimpse into the uh, legit beef between the pair at the time? I'd like to say it's kayfabe. I suspect it's a little bit of uh, column A, a little bit of column B. And I think, again, saying with, with 2018 eyes, I think it kind of gives it an extra little bit of needle, knowing that they didn't like each other and then seeing that and thinking, oh, that's a little bit uh, on the edge. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about Brett. I, again, I've talked about him a lot, but... He's so kind of wrapped up with, you know, how things should be done in the business. I'm fairly sure that he would probably shake someone's hand, even if he thought he was a complete dick, unless something else had happened. So I'm thinking probably mostly kayfabe, but in my head, I'm going to pretend that it's real life stuff going on there. In fairness, though, Bret Hart deserves to be annoyed. He's effectively won the match. You know, he hasn't been pinned. He has. He shouldn't have to relinquish his title. That's it. You know, he's screwed over by Gorilla Monsoon, who somehow gets his job back during the programme, which is kind of really <laughs> subtly done as well. I've been really annoyed just from the entrances. From the moment Sean comes down the zip wire and then Brett has to walk down Yeah, down also the featuring all, Bret Hart. Yeah, you're going, oh, well, with my 2018 eyes, I'm like, well, you've clearly just telegraphed who's going to win there. But something like this right now is how much cooler Bret Hart looked with the belt and how less jaded he seemed in 1996. There's a bit just before that when he's uh, near in the huddle and he's eyeing up Sean and he looks at his son and he winks. I'm like, oh, this is why wrestling fans of a certain generation think Bret Hart is amazing. I don't because all I've seen is like post-Screwjob, post-97, where it's just he's angry and bitter and wants the last laugh. Whereas there's clearly something in there that I'm going to enjoy as I go backwards in time. Oh, yeah, this guy, he seems capable of smiling. I look forward to that. Sean's entrance, though, on on the zip wire, it it made me really sad. Again, it's coming back to the whole Owen Hart thing that's going to happen a couple of years down the line. Seeing that kind of spectacular entrance, seeing the kind of reaction that he gets... And it does take them ages to get him out of the harness. And that is apparently what Vince didn't like about that kind of spectacular stuff. He said, if we're going to do it, it needs to come off quickly. It needs to be a snap catch, which is obviously uh, what the problem was with um, Owen's accident. So, yeah, that made me really sad. Just back on the legit beef thing, a couple of quotes that, that are interesting here. In the Pro Wrestling Torch news letter covering this WrestleMania, Wade Keller wrote, as Shawn Michaels was celebrating his WWF title victory over Bret Hart in mid-ring, Bret returned to the locker room, grabbed his bags and left the arena without showering or changing clothes. After the show went off the air, the wrestlers were gathering their items to return to the hotel and prepare for the post-WrestleMania party. Some wondered aloud what had happened to Bret. There was no sign of him for the rest of the night. He didn't appear at the party at the Marriott in Anaheim either. Now you can say, well, maybe that's a dirt sheet thing. But in his book, Hitman, My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Professional Wrestling, Brett said of the match, I didn't mind putting Sean over at WrestleMania 12, but I knew that Sean wasn't the guy to fill my shoes and I was damn sure he wouldn't draw any better than I did. Now, we touched on the relationship that Vince has between these two uh, at this time and in the future, but it really seemed to to bother Brett that he wasn't the favourite son and that Sean was. I think, yes, obviously he didn't rate Sean as he was at that time. But also it was kind of the way that Sean was behaving 
uh, in the locker room and just in general he did Brett didn't think of Sean as a company man or someone who could be trusted to be the champion being the champion obviously still still meant stuff to Brett because obviously he's old school so it's not necessarily about what he does in the ring that was that was his problem with him but Carl is it is it the frustration is as much with Vince almost as it is with Sean like why can't you see that I'm the guy you build a company around not this guy who's abusing drugs and doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing oh yeah I I think uh, there's a really interesting parallel between what happened with CM Punk later down the line as well I spoke about this before Vince McMahon's thing is if you work hard for me I'll reward you in the way I like to reward you but also he very clearly doesn't connect with two or three figures who are basically going no I need you to be more openly acknowledged that I'm giving you all of this I'm giving you my blood sweat and tears and in Bret Hart's case my body he broke his sternum in the match which is like you break your sternum that's incredibly painful Um, and yeah just I've never seen anyone be as in dull as their Shawn Michaels in WWE history like throughout that man's entire career he's indulged in a way that I don't understand why because I don't understand what Vince sees in Sean that would allow him to do it like Austin fine Austin sold tickets Hogan helped him dominate the when they went national I don't understand it with Sean he wasn't a huge draw he was great in ring but I don't think Vince ever particularly particularly cares if you're fantastic in ring and like I can't see those two having a like a cross-country road trip and having a good time <laughs> so look, how is this working I'd watch that episode of Ride Along <laughs> um, but then to, to sort of go slightly against your point you go from Wrestlemania 10 where Vince kind of rushes off comms to shake um, Bret Hart's hand at the end of the match where are you going kind of effectively going well done you're the guy you've got us through this event to two years later where he's got to get the other this other brash guy who isn't conducting himself like a wrestler so he can't so I can completely understand where Brett's coming from and why he's annoyed. However, in this match, I think I see some one of the best cross body of body I've ever seen at WrestleMania from from Sean. He, he I, I think he could do things that others couldn't, and Vince knew that. I don't think it's necessarily this is this is the guy, but this is the guy that can take us to that next step, and that's why I think Vince backed Sean so heavily. And he also had um, the influence over the rest of the clique, didn't he? And the, he, he could always play the card of, well, I'll go to WCW, which would have been devastating um, for Vince. Uh, I wasn't that keen on this match. I don't know if it's just 2018 eyes looking at it, but but one word answer then, good or bad, Anton? It's fine. I like the ending. So, and I, I, I like the last sort of 20 minutes and... Yeah, it was it was all right. It was fine. I think I think it's overrated. I'd say. And Carl and Carrie are in the good camp. Yeah, I mean, it's a prominent match. <laughs> is that your one word, prominent? Yeah. I mean, you're asking me if I like a Bret Hart match, and usually <laughs> I do. There's a lot of arm bars, and I'm very confused as to why they're both using arm bars when, well, Bret's finish is a sharpshooter, and Sean doesn't have a submission finish. Why are you using arm bars other than just well, we got to fill out sixty minutes? Uh, you can play this match in uh, the 2K14 game. So WWE 2K14 take you through the WrestleManias. And they noticeably skip from 60 minutes. They jump to 37 minutes. Then you do a bit more. Then they jump to 20 minutes. Then you do a bit more. Then it jumps to zero. Which shows in the 60 minutes there's maybe only four action points. So at time of recording, we are working under the assumption that Sean is going to be teaming up with Triple H to take on Undertaker and Kane at Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia. Um, 
word around the campfire is that he's getting $2 million to do this. If we, uh, well, I suppose we can't really leave aside the, the horror that is Saudi Arabia and everything that, that that represents and why they're going there. But if you just look at it in terms of Shawn Michaels returning... I'm not going to ask you first, Carrie, because you don't really like Shawn Michaels. Uh, Or Saudi Arabia, no. (laughs) Carl, who is a massive fan of Saudi Arabia, um, (laughs) uh, and Shawn Michaels. I'm really, really disappointed that he did so well in and all those promos he cut saying, hey, I really appreciate the one more match thing, but I'm going to work so hard to make sure that doesn't happen. Ted DiBiase was right. Everybody's got a price. This is $2 million. Do you want to see 53-year-old Shawn Michaels do a tag match? No, I don't want to see 53-year-old Shawn Michaels cut a promo, let alone step in the square. But we know he's still good at cutting a promo. We've seen that on Raw recently. Mm -hmm. But that that promo on Raw just made me want Taker versus Michaels. It actually took Triple H out of the match for Super Show. And and do you want that in 2018 or do you want that 20 years ago? No, I wanted that 20 years ago. But at the same time, still Pangaree was like, if you're going to do it, at least do it with Sean. It's a much better rivalry between him and Taker. It's a much better, you know, much more engaging kind of than Triple H and Undertaker, which I think is probably the most overrated rivalry in WrestleMania history. And, you know, Kane, who is great, but, you know, he doesn't wrestle anymore. Don't you have mayor stuff to do, as the sign said. So, you know... I think if you're going to do it, have those two, which they may well be building up towards a Survivor Series oh, or God, no. Rumble or Mania or something like that. But this is wrestling. Like, of course Sean's going to come back. He was never... He was, there was always going to be one more match. Of course there was. But, as soon as he started before, as soon as he started to get his performance centre regularly, getting in shape, and everybody was thinking, wow, Sean's amazing, he was going to get back in the ring. But it, I guess, Carl... Part of the problem is it's the thin end of the wedge, this, isn't it? Because it's not just one match that he'll be coming back for. As Axel's alluded to there, it'll be WrestleMania matches. It'll be Rumble in the Jungle or whatever they do next, all this kind of stuff. Strangely, if it is more than one match, I can compartmentalise that a little bit better than... Yeah, so he's not just coming for the Saudi dollar kind of thing. Yeah, that makes things less terrible. I don't want to say better. This is still... You're going to undo one of the... I'll call it the best because Ric Flair came out of retirement and that didn't work out well. The best WWE-style retirement for for just money. and a, oh, oh. Okay, so who, which, which are you more excited about then? Return of Goldberg, what, two years ago? Or Shawn Michaels? Which would you rather see in the ring in their 50s? Because I know which one I'd rather see in the ring in their 50s. I'd rather see Goldberg because it would mean that Shawn Michaels hadn't come back and spoiled his legacy. I guess, though, Carrie, if we're playing devil's advocate, we can say, hey, this is just what happens, as Anton said. Everybody comes back. Mick Foley came back when he said he wasn't going to. Terry Funk has retired, you know, more times than I've had steak and chips. Um, which is, I mean, you probably only about... You need to work your mate. Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, I was looking me. at that bag of Easy Peelers and thinking more times than there are Easy Peelers in that bag, but that was poor too. Um, it's, also, it's also a visual gag yeah, in an audio yeah. medium. But Carrie, mind. what do you think about Shawn Michaels coming out of retirement? <laughs> no, I think you're right in that, yes, it's just what happens in wrestling and no one is ever really fully retired. But on the other hand, it's... The retirement is probably the only really dignified thing Shawn Michaels has ever done. And I kind of had a respect for him for doing that. And, oh, I don't know. I understand why he would come back. I understand why people want to see it. And I understand why the money would be tempting to anybody. I just think it's all an absolute 
Oh, shambles, I guess. Yeah, it's. I guess it's, you know, finally it's easy for us to say he shouldn't do it, but we're not the people with a big sack of money being waved under our noses. All right, well, that was a pretty lengthy part one. We'll take a little pause there. When we come back, we'll look at the rest of WrestleMania 12. 
like it's not him it's Roddy Piper Roddy Piper is the bizarre no selling I legitimately bottled myself to cut a promo in the territorial era yeah well you see when Piper goes to get back in into the van he's just got blood trickling all down his yeah. arm and it's all over the um the door handle for, Piper for the is a hard bastard and, and the way he uses that baseball bat to smash the Cadillac is disturbing it is you've used the baseball bat to do that before like you know how to break bones and like some people look hard some people are hard Roddy Piper you don't mess around with the bar fight because you know he's probably bottled someone uh, which makes this fight extra uncomfortable for me because when Roddy Piper throws punches they're not they don't look whiffy they don't look soft or for play when Roddy Piper punches and hits something the appeal about Roddy Piper was he looked real he always looked dangerous he always looked as if there was legitimate force behind what he was doing so the fact that Gold Dust gets barely any offense in, it's just a man in his thirties and forties beating up—I don't call it a teenager, but a guy in his twenties covered in gold paint for reasons that I'm going to teach you how to be a real man, and the whole like, I'm going to do something your dad never did for you, which is just really uncomfortable. Um, now, Doctor, when we were going back through the sort of thirties, twenties WrestleManias, and Carl was getting woken to what a terrible wrestler and person John Cena is. I feel like this is happening to a sort of nastier extent with me and Roddy Piper. Like, I knew he was a legend of the business, but he's a homophobic racist as well. Is that right? Or is that the character he was playing? Or what? what how How do we justify his behaviour? I think, again, it's another one of those little bit of column A, little bit of column B. But I think Carl's right in that what he does looks so convincing, you're never quite sure whether you're watching is real or not. And I know that's the whole, whole point of professional wrestling. But, so he could just be great it. at it, then? He could just be amazing at being a professional wrestler, which, you know, I think he is. But I think there's probably also that nasty side to him as well. And this match was just, yeah, it just, it just reeked of hate crime to me. And I know that sounds really... 2018 and it sounds really kind of politically correct as much as I hate the phrase but it just just did it just seemed nasty in all the worst ways the fact that gold dust kissing Roddy Piper activated Roddy Piper's like hulking up I can now just walk through your attacks made me feel just like oh so men kissing activates your no sell special move okay and get like that gets you so worked up you can walk through your opponent's punches made me feel uncomfortable uh, and I, at the time Piper was the the commissioner he was an authority figure on the mm. show so he's he's not main rusted he's just going i'm going to have to beat up this guy because he fancies me which yeah even in 96 is it's not on is it just following up on carrie's point about piper because he looked so convincing i think that's why he was loved because there wasn't and there's because it was so cartoony and it was so this is your good guy and this is what they do Piper blurred the lines before Attitude Era and before you know the the change in WCW and that kind of thing. So I can completely understand why he was loved in a way it was probably inexplainable to a lot of people at the time. And and looking now, you're like, well, that's awful. And I completely agree with Matt. I I watch now thinking, oh, in my head, you were completely different. You were this kind of anti-authority figure that made great jokes and had great comic timing and you know beat up the people that does it. Actually, no, you were just just a nasty human being yeah i remember someone saying to me when um the shield first got called up and they drew a parallel between roddy piper and dean ambrose not dean ambrose as we have him now in the shield but dean ambrose who was working uh in czw and the kind of very odd promos that he did and the kind of 
going crazy with a chainsaw and threatening people with, you know, bits of cutlery and stuff. That kind of slightly unhinged, but there's still something very charismatic and funny about him. And you don't want to laugh, but you still have to because it is entertaining. But there's just something not quite right there. And I think that's quite a good parallel. Um, Look up Dean Ambrose promos from CZW on YouTube. He's off his absolute tree. It's amazing. <laughs> and the one he did um, on Mick Foley outside of WrestleMania oh once as well. Oh, yeah. That one's good yeah, too. That's brilliant. Mm. And CM Punk, another guy who cited Roddy Piper as one of the reasons he got into wrestling, of oh, course. Well, Roddy Piper is incredibly captivating to look at. He's got this thing that I call body charisma, which is just the way he can move his arm. I'm into yeah, I'll watch, I'll watch you do stuff. And he, he spoke about how when he was coming through the territories, he wanted to be a big deal. And to be a big deal, the leading good guys in the territory area were the Guerreros. So he had to send himself up in opposition to that. So that's where like he has done so many racially charged promos towards Mexican people. Do I believe he hates Mexican people? Possibly. Do I believe he did a lot more outlandish things because he was in? He set himself up in opposition to the Guerrero family. Yes. And can I arrest that in my brain? Maybe. I'm not going to buy uh, the rowdy T-shirt for a while. That's but for sure. Also, in 2018, I think the reason why Piper is in our consciousness is not just because of wrestling, but because he was mainstream. But he was mainstreaming and casting various things as a voice actor and a, uh, in and and animations and in. Uh, always sunny in Philadelphia and that kind of thing because people grew up watching this and then when they got older they thought I want to cast Roddy Piper and that's you know so so he was almost probably people of our age and a little bit younger a little bit older sorry when they became creative types when they they wanted to pay homage to him because they inspired him when they were younger so I think I find him really difficult to talk about because it, it wasn't my generation but there was something there there was something with him that inspired so many people to love him, even though his character was based on hate. Interesting stuff. Let's move on to Stone Cold Steve Austin beating Savio Vega. We mentioned Austin earlier. He'd make his WrestleMania debut here. Uh, Austin at this time was Stone Cold, but not as we know it. Still aligned with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, carrying the Million Dollar Belt, which played a part in the finish here. Austin cracks Savio on the noggin with it behind the ref's back. Um, does everybody know the story of how Austin came up with the name Stone Cold? Would anybody like to tell it? Um, he was given a list of characters. He'd seen a documentary on Charles Dharma, the killer, yes. and said, "I want to be like this guy, Hanty." And so uh, he so, pre- he pitched that to yep. the uh, to the creative department. So creative sent him a list of character names, and one of them was I think Fang McFoom, Ice Dagger, Ice Dagger. Chili McFreeze. Yep. Uh, so they basically took the cold element of what he said and thought that was what he was meaning about for a name of his character. And so he was looking at this list, scratching his head, why don't these people get me? With his English wife, Jeannie, at the time, who was in wrestling herself, she'd made him a cup of tea and said, never mind that, drink your tea before it goes stone cold. Boom. <laughs> it's funny how it works, isn't it? Anyway, so that was that. It seems kind of pertinent today, Carl, the story of how he got himself over, or, you know, that name coming as it did and, and how he was. We're told that wrestlers are kind of discouraged from doing that today. Why do we think that is when it works so well for one of the biggest stars the company's ever produced? Uh, because when it doesn't work so well, you get characters who are just laws onto themselves. And you, I think they've been... When it doesn't go so well, you get WCW. <laughs> you get late-stage WCW. You get Glacier. You get... I don't know what they were doing in the last, like, two, three years. I watched a lot of uh, Thunder Nitro from the year 99 and 2000, and 
that is what happens when you give too many people creative control. <laughs> and of course, Anton, we're a couple of months out here from that that infamous Austin 316 promo uh, at King of the Ring. Uh, if anybody hasn't seen that, I'm sure there aren't many people listening to this who aren't aware of it. Tell us what that was and how it got him over to such an extent. So he effectively, well, he wins King of the Ring and it's seen as a surprise at the time. And then it's just the first time we see Stone Cold Steve Austin and he cuts it and then it you know, cuts his promo and then then uh, there's a Bible verse John 3.16 isn't it and then he says but actually Jake Austin, Roberts was rocking a, a Bible gimmick at the time right. who he beat but actually Austin 3.16 says I just yep. whooped your ass and first thing of all you've got to get that piece of trash out of my ring yeah exactly second face of all you can say your uh, psalms and thump your bibles talk about John 3.16 Austin 3.16 said I just whooped your ass what he needs to do is go down to 7-Eleven get a bottle of Thunderbird and restore some of his old pride wow no, I won't keep going. <laughs> hey, well done, mate. Um, Carrie, you get the fun of explaining who Sabio Vega was. He was a kind of workhorse wrestler who was knocking about for a while at this time. Yeah, so again, this is one of the ones I had to kind of um, look up on, on the Wikipedias just to kind of fill in the backstory. And so he was leader of a stable, is that right? Did he he was, not Barriquas. Yeah. I constantly confuse him with Dilo Brown, which says a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he was kind of rocking about um, in WWF for quite a long time under kind of various kind of gimmicks. Went off to um, TNA, I think, for a bit as well. So that was much more recent. So that's someone else who retired and decided to come back, but slightly <laughs> less celebrated. But, um, yeah, he was uh, Puerto Rican and that was his character in WWF as far as I can work out. Very much under the category of a good hand. Yes, somebody who reliable. Could, yeah, put it put in the ring and have a decent match. Um, somebody who doesn't come into that category. The Ultimate Warrior beats <laughs> Triple H. It lasts one minute and 39 seconds. Warrior no-sells the pedigree. Incredible, this. The, the crowd absolutely white hot for this guy. Um, my first question, Axel, is Warrior the biggest prick in professional <laughs> wrestling history? <laughs> I mean, I I'm think, talking inside the ring, outside the ring. This is our first look at him in the ring. I think we need you to go through your list of grievances with Warrior. Okay, so he's a very, very hateful man who said some awful things about uh, Bobby Heenan, about the victims of Hurricane Katrina. You can go back to our episode where he was put into the Hall of Fame. We'll go into that in some detail. But in terms of wrestling here, he just had no interest whatsoever in giving any offence at all to his opponent. He made him look really terrible, he being Triple H. Uh, Trips deserves some credit. Apparently he was told he'd be rewarded if he did this favour. But this goes against everything we know about what makes the business work, doesn't it? You, you, you're supposed to work in harmony with your opponent, not try and crush him. Completely agree. And Triple H, I think, was undefeated going into this <laughs> match as well. And then puts the pedigree on Warrior, who bounces straight back up. Now, I don't understand how you can recover from that in the short term. I genuinely don't. I mean, he Warrior screws him completely screws him in this match. This match is referenced in the Self-Destruction of the Ultimate Warrior documentary, which is a two-hour documentary of everyone in WWE going, the Ultimate Warrior was really good and then he was terrible. Bobby Heenan is fantastic in that documentary. You've never seen someone just bury a guy in the way Heenan does. Um, And right near the end, you get very young Triple H go, yeah, I came in, I went to WrestleMania, I did the job, but like, what the hell is Ultimate Warrior? Which is a pretty good summation of well, why bring him back in 1996? It was gone six months later, though, wasn't yeah. he? So, yeah. Why bring him back six years later from his biggest moment? He's not learned anything. Um, it is cool to see young Triple H. Young Triple H come to the ring with Sable as well, which is, I thought was 
just like, oh, that's so weird. I would never put those two characters ever interacting. It's kind of Pride and Prejudice-esque kind of music as well, and... Yeah, like, a I, snob from Greenwich, Connecticut, yeah, as he was. Yeah. I really, I really liked his entrance. I really liked his, the kind of detestable vibe he had, and that sort of Cyril sneer kind of, you know, <laughs> villainous way. I, 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 you know, I was, I was in on it, and then he just, and then he just gets shafted. Cyril sneer reference one for the teenagers there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, you can run with us, but uh, <laughs> Ultimate Warrior very much cannot. Why do some wrestling fans really like him? It's not like he was a good wrestler. Is it? Is was it just children we heard screaming and popping wildly when he came out? I think that's partly it. I think in terms of kind of the cartoony eighties kind of characters. I mean, he's up there, isn't he? You've, you've got your face paint. You've got the kind of bright colours. You've got the kind of the ring shaking thing it's kind of very something that's easy to mimic it's something that I think kids would respond to and I guess they were going for a nostalgia pop by bringing him back was it back uh, four years or after after they got rid of him first time round and he was Vince was clearly looking for something that's going to boost ratings which is obviously why he's also looking to pass the torch to Sean at this point as well he's just throwing everything you can think of at it isn't he and this match led to the well the debut of Mark Miro as well. Yes, so. yes. So after the match, Todd Pettengill introduces Wild Man Mark Miro, who did an interview talking about being excited about entering the WWF. Hunter appears and bumps Miro midway through. Miro shoves him back. Uh, Hunter blames Sable, who, as Carl said, was the woman he came to the ring with. Miro comes to her rescue, uh, rams Hunter into a, a metal garage door. And yeah, Miro and, and Sable... Go off together. I mean, I didn't know that any of this happened. I was rather no, surprised. I <laughs> no, I, I was because I, I was really surprised because I only remember Miro in WWF as sort of you know the guy in the black and the so to see him wearing like a mustard suit and a and a and, a, and an earring and a mullet and just you know the wild. I'm trying to just kind of create a character. Felt like on the spot, the wild man, um, and he very much felt like he was making it up on the spot as well. Didn't really know what to say. Just was waiting for the for the trips bump. He had been Johnny B. Bad in uh, WCW before, hadn't he? Um, Next up, we're going to talk about a big man versus big man match, which wasn't as awful as I feared when the two chaps made their respective entrances. The Undertaker beat Diesel, a.k.a. Kevin Nash. Um, Carrie, it wasn't just punch kick, it was a lot of that, but it wasn't just that. Same, I quite enjoyed this. It wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. I quite enjoyed Diesel. I don't understand what was happening there. Yeah, I had to question all the beliefs that I have in life after watching this match. So Big Sexy actually lived up to his moniker to some extent for you? I wouldn't say that, no. Um, Somewhat attractive would have been more accurate. (laughs) All right, I suppose, (laughs) if you've been drinking. I don't know. (laughs) The five-pinter. Anton, you were shaking your head uh, in a way that I've not seen you do it before. Not having this. Because it was was just no sort of big man slugfest. And there were bear hugs, and this match seemed to go on for ages. And then there's like a second jackknife, and you're like, right, okay, fine. That's one of the most devastating moves in the company at the time. Just pin him, done. No, of course you don't. Diesel plays around with the crowd, and you're just like, oh, this is old-fashioned, snarky wrestling. Because I just, I just, I didn't like that as a kid, and I don't, don't like it now. Oh, you get the casting vote then. It is good, bad finish. So absolutely agree. Like Diesel fixes his eyes on you. Hello, yeah, all right, I can see it. You're intensely charismatic. I can see why they cast you in Magic Mike one and two in the modern era because you, you know even though he can't dance, um, yeah, absolutely great charisma 
and just like yeah, raise your eyebrows and do stuff. And it was impressive for what I was watching because we are now in the the early Undertaker matches, so I'm not looking forward to these at all. So maybe that's why. I was so pleasantly surprised because I wasn't expecting much from this. Did you get any feels on the sort of classic Taker, classic Paul Bearer that we got? You know, the Taker outfit, Paul Bearer, all with his white makeup on in the end. Does that not make, make you feel all sentimental? Bearer. It's more to do with Bearer now because the Undertaker outfits are scattershot. He looks as if he's getting dressed in the dark, which, of course, he's getting dressed in the dark. He's the Undertaker. Why am I surprised at that? <laughs> <laughs> and does it make you feel better about it now that you understand the pun that is Paul Bearer? Did you know that Flowrider is a pun? Yes. Oh, yeah. There we go. All right, well, last um, and kind of least, I guess, the British Bulldog Owen Hart and Vader with Jim Cornette defeated Ahmed Johnson, Jake Roberts and Yokozuna with Mr Fuji. Um, were there enough people in this match at ringside? He asked sarcastically, Anton. Uh, yeah, well, it was just, it was carnage, wasn't it? But it was fun. It was all right. It was, you know, sort of silly way to start the event i've got no problem with that vince is pumped going into this as he's shouting he's he can't stop it's yeah um i liked the owen hart british bulldog music mishmashy sort of that was great um some fun moves in it obviously it lasts too long but there's a vader bomb which is always nice to see i know carl probably got quite pumped about that so look it is what it was it was you know got you involved and there was jake the snake as well yeah, um, Carrie, you, you're a, a Jake the Snake aficionado, so tell some people who might not be too aware of him who he was, what he was, what he did. Okay, how to summarise. Um, so I, the best way to describe Jake the Snake would be the master of psychological wrestling. Um, so if you're looking for a technician, he's not your man. If you're looking for storytelling and psyching people out and building a feud, he's definitely the one to watch. And he had an actual snake. Um, that's why it's called Jake the Snake. And, yeah. Otherwise, he's just Jake Roberts, Otherwise, which isn't Jake that Roberts threatening, that's is it? not scary. No. Um, he did a comeback. Did you, he Was it one of the special Raw episodes? And he did a, did a bit Old with the shield. Raw. And Old he put the, uh, put the snake on Dean Ambrose. And Dean Ambrose is just laughing his little head off because he's so happy that he's in the ring with Jake Roberts. And so. Punk's saying, careful, Jake, we're PG now, just because <laughs> they're a bit worried about what he's going to do. Um, Carl, um, people... May well have, but they might not have seen the resurrection of Jake the Snake, which you can watch on Netflix still, I believe. Um, how how did Jake come to be in that? Who helped him out? What, why did he need it? Jake the Snake is a drug addict, uh, dealt with substance abuse throughout his entire time in WWE and beyond into wider life. Um, in Beyond the Mat, uh, there's a notable section with Jake the Snake trying to connect with his daughter who is in college at the time. They have, they're estranged at the time, they have a meeting, doesn't really go well, Jake walks off, and then the narration says, the next time I saw Jake the Snake, he was in his hotel room doing crack. Um, Had a horrible childhood and upbringing, didn't he, kind of, as an explanation for it. His dad was a wrestler as well, Grizzly Smith, who was not a nice guy. Absolutely not. Um, very much on the verge of no longer being with us, and then DDP takes him into his home, introduces him to DDP yoga, um, helps him get sober helps him when jake falls off the wagon um jake the snake openly credits ddp for the reason he's alive and i think he's in the hall of fame now it ddp inducted him didn't he yes um, uh, lovely speech lovely moment in the docker ddp saved scott hall and uh, jake the snake 
can't say enough good things about DDP. Yeah, and we've spoken a lot about Beyond the Map, but um, if, you, if you're a wrestling completist from around this time, you really need to watch it because it will fill in a lot of the blanks of what we're talking about. And we'll talk a bit more about Yokozuna in the next couple of episodes as well because he's an interesting character. One, one last thing on this, Anton. Jake's finisher was the DDT, which used to be a really feared move, and now it's something that happens three minutes into a Raw match before they cut to commercial. Why is that? I have no idea because it's someone being dropped on their head. I mean, I don't understand how that isn't painful. And the crowd are chatting about this DDT, DDT, DDT. It stands they- for Damien's Dinner Time. Damien being the Jake snake. snake. Uh, it's, something that's really cool is much like with Shawn Michaels now and the super kick. Yeah, it's just used as a transition move. But if Jake ever comes back and uses a DDT, you are out. And that was a, uh, it was like that sort of like a grandpa death. Sort of uh, all of you are trying to use this move properly. But when I use it, I use it properly because I invented it. Which is why it's horrible when you saw Cena go through that stage of using the springboard stunner. Oh, Matt's face. Oh, oh, that's real revulsion. <laughs> that guy, I thought there. we were beyond uh, the John Cena stuff. Oh, well, that was that then. Short show in terms of number of matches, if not the length of them. The last one in particular, of course. Carrie, how do you feel about it as a whole? I, I quite like this show. Yeah, I quite liked it. I, th- I think what kind of strikes me most is just how different the whole kind of structure of this WrestleMania is compared to what we're used to. We said about kind of an Iron Man match lasting sixty minutes on a on a pay per view like this, but also the other other matches aren't for belts. They're all kind of what, under under quarter of an hour mostly. Are they? Yeah, you sure? Much. I don't think there's anything over kind of like oh, they feel, they feel, seventeen, eighteen feel minutes. <laughs> well, that, the longest other issue. one was sixteen. <laughs> well, the back the backlot brawl, depending on how you want to break that down, and the um, Taker versus Diesel were just over sixteen minutes. They were the longest. Yeah, so it's a very different kind of WrestleMania to the ones we're kind of used to as modern fans. No, oh, I liked it. Entertaining, sports entertaining. Carl, how would you compare this Iron Man match with the one we saw this year at SummerSlam between Ziggler and Seth Rollins? <laughs> it's a different sport. It just um, some a term I will be using a lot more as we go through the part is uh, space wrestling, which is just wrestling, wrestling matches that take into account work rate and body parts look as if they're from the future. So far in the future that people have got space travel compared to what's going on around it. Um, yeah, Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler doing space wrestling compared to what this is. Anton, WrestleMania moment? Um, yeah, I, I can't necessarily agree with everything Kerry said. It was, it's it's alright, it's fine. There are, there are older manias I prefer to this one. Um, and this kind of feels like the first really old mania, effectively. Um, WrestleMania moment, uh, I would say it's, I'd say it's Sean's crossbody from the top rope onto the uh, onto the floor, taken out, almost missing Bret Hart because he's, he's so agile, and you just think, yeah, like all loads him, he's the guy. Carl, Bret Hart winking to the fan in the crowd, like, ah, oh, hello, you've got charisma. <laughs> Carrie, yeah, I was going to kind of go with the same kind of thing, but kind of as Bret walks out, and he hasn't got his spectacular entrance, but there's still something compelling about him, and it's just me sitting there watching Bret with Hart eyes, like I always do. So yeah, good. <laughs> I'm going to go with Roddy Piper phoning into the commentary team during the um, <laughs> the Austin Vega match just for the oh that and the so fact we got the WrestleMania song over the closing montage. Oh, I mean, WrestleMania. 
Yeah, this is our life, which it is for us in a way. Yeah, certainly, uh, yeah. on What's these days. Us? <laughs> uh, Carrie, where can people keep up with you on the Twitter? On the Twitters at Carrie Sparkle and Carl Anchorman six one six and Anton at Sky Anton. We are at the PU Podcast. I am at MJDAFC. Next week, we're all off to Hartford, Connecticut. Very much a home game for the WWF. It's WrestleMania eleven, where the Fed went celebrity crazy. Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam Bigelow in the headline slot. Pamela Anderson on the arm of Diesel. Some bloke from NYPD Blue and King Kong Bundy. Thanks for listening. I've been Matt Davis-Adams. You've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.